And thank you to the worship arts team for leading us in singing some of the great songs of Christmas season. It's just interesting how much music is associated with Christmas. It's inspired a lot of beautiful music to remind us of that great event. Uh, this morning we're going to be uh, starting four studies during this season of Advent. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, the word Advent means the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event, or the beginning of something. Well, in our context today, Advent is the first season of the Christian church year leading up to Christmas and including the four Sundays before Christmas. It commemorates the arrival of Jesus on earth as a baby, which is what we celebrate during this Christmas season. And I guess we should give thanks to Mike for reminding us that it's only three weeks away. Over the next four Sundays, uh, we will look at four themes for this Advent season. Hope, which we'll look at today. Peace, which will be brought to us uh, next week by Phil Garman. And then the next two weeks uh, by Matt with joy and love. So today we're going to look at this thing called hope. Now we have a birthday tradition in this country that when you have a birthday, you get a birthday cake and you have candles on it uh, until you get to a certain age. It usually has the number of years of your age after that. Uh, well, yeah. So the tradition is uh, before you blow the candles out, you make a wish for something that you're hoping for. You don't tell anybody, you blow out the candles, and if you get them all in one breath, then that increases your chances of getting what you're hoping for. Well, as we begin, uh, I'd like you to spend uh, just a few moments to yourself answering this question. What are you most hoping for at this time of your life? What are you most hoping for at this time of your life? Well, the Bible is the most hopeful book ever written. Hope in the Bible is not wishful thinking, which is often how we use the word. For example, I hope the Eagles win the Super Bowl. Hope in the Bible, rather than wishful thinking, is a joyful and confident expectation. A joyful and confident expectation. Well, why does this matter? Why spend time considering this idea of hope? Because what you hope for shapes what you live for. What you hope for shapes what you live for. Remember what it is that you're hoping for that I asked you to think about? Those hopes will shape how you order your life, what you pursue. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Titus, the book of Titus in the New Testament, chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, which we have just heard read. And Angie, I appreciate you reading those. Uh, Angie did comment that if you look at it, it's one long sentence, these uh, four verses. Uh, but this passage is actually one of my favorites because it contains within its confines one of the clearest statements of the gospel in the Bible in one place. Titus 2, verses 11 to 14. And I ask you to follow along in your Bibles so that you're not just hearing, but you're also seeing. And I'll be speaking out of the English Standard Version, which is in the uh, pews, if you don't have a Bible with you. Titus is a letter or epistle written by Paul to his helper, Titus. 
to help Titus put some things in order in the churches on the island of Crete. Titus 2, 11 to 14 is rich in meaning as we think about this idea of hope. Paul starts verse 11 with, For the grace of God has appeared. For the grace of God has appeared. Then he goes on to discuss three major areas of life that the grace of God profoundly affects. And so let's look at those three areas together. But before we continue, I wanted to share some words that I picked up from Alistair Begg that he shared with his church. I found them to reflect my heart's desire for all of us this morning as well. He said this to his church, and I say this to us. And with our Bibles open, let's pause for a moment of prayer together. Just where you're seated this morning, ask God to speak to you, no matter what age you are, or where you're from, or background, that you might know that God is real and speaks to us through his word. Ask for strength of mind where we're tired, for a real seeking heart we may, where we may suffer from disinterest. Let's ask God together that we might know that it's the power of his word which takes root in our lives and changes us. And those of us who have the privilege of proclaiming it are merely the mouthpieces that will one day be set aside, but the message never changes. The message never changes. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would speak to us this morning. <clears throat> and may we be zealous in seeking after you, and may we lay hold of the truth of your word and live it out in the days of our lives that yet await us. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. All right, let's dive in at verse 11. <clears throat> For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Bringing salvation. This is the first thing that Paul brings out for us. This is what the Christmas season is all about. <clears throat> celebrating the fact that the grace of God appeared when Jesus was born into this world as a baby to bring salvation. In Luke 2.11, Luke tells us the angel's words to the shepherds on the night that Jesus was born. He says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus did not come to be a cute baby in a manger. He came as the Savior of the world, as our rescuer. And we need someone to save us because we are hopelessly lost. Paul describes the natural state of each of us in verse 14. He says, that Christ came to redeem us from lawlessness. <clears throat> lawlessness is living in complete disregard of God's laws, doing our own thing. He also said he came to purify us. We need to be purified, cleansed, because we are unclean. We are stained and dirtied by our sinful thoughts and actions. This natural condition has been called or is called total depravity. It's as ominous as it sounds. Alistair Begg says it this way, human depravity is the doctrine that, that there is no area of our lives that is unaffected by sin, which affects our will, minds, bodies, emotions, behavior, and more. And Paul Tripp gives us a useful illustration using color. 
He says, all of our life is tainted by sin. If sin were the color blue, we do not occasionally say or do something blue. All that we say, do, and think has some taint of blue in it. This is depravity. This is us, each one of us. Why am I spending time with this negative assessment of who we are? Well, because if you miss the full weight of the bad news, you will miss the powerful gift of the good news brought to us by Jesus Christ. Again, quoting Paul Tripp, he says, the bad news which I want so much to deny is necessary in order for me to accept and live in the hope of the good news that I desperately need. We need to understand the bad news or we'll never appreciate the good news. The grace of God appeared, bringing salvation. But the Bible tells us the story began long before Jesus appeared to us. Genesis 1 and 2 tell us about God's creation of a perfect world. And then Genesis 3 tells us that the first people, Adam and Eve, believe the devil's lies and reject God's will in favor of their own will, which brings disorder, conflict, and death into the world. But right after, right after Adam and Eve's sin, God gives them hope with the promise that one day a male descendant of Eve's would appear who would destroy the devil and his evil once and for all. God tells Eve that someday a son of yours is going to come to rid this world of evil. Can you imagine Eve's anticipation as her first son, Cain, is born? Would Cain be the one to save them from their sin? If you know the story, sadly, Cain rejects God and murders his brother Abel. Neither one of them is the promised Savior. And on and on through history, God's people wait in hope for the promise the deliverer to appear. What about Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, surely Joseph, Moses as the great deliverer from Egypt, King David, Surely it must be King Solomon with all his glory and splendor. What about the great prophets? Isaiah, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah. Century after century, kings come and go, prophets live and die, and all of these prove to be flawed, sinful human beings who were not God's promised Savior. Did anticipation keep growing with each successive generation? Did discouragement settle in with no Savior coming after so long a wait? How long, O oh Lord, till the promised Savior finally appears? How long? How long? And Paul says in Galatians 4:4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son born of a woman. Finally, the long-promised and long-awaited Savior of the world has his advent, his coming, when Jesus is born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago to a young girl named Mary at just the right time. 
When Jesus came, Paul says, the grace of God appeared. And Paul refers to this grace in verse 14. He says, when Jesus gave himself for us, he gave himself for us. Jesus died in our place, bearing the penalty of the guilt and shame that belonged to us because of our rebellion against God. And Jesus rose from the dead to give us new life. And look with me at what Paul says in Titus 3, 5, just a few verses down, chapter 3, verse 5. He says, Jesus saved us, not because of any works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves, nothing we can do to deserve God's favor. That is the grace of God, God giving us what we don't deserve. And Paul says this grace in verse 11 is for all people, for all people. Jesus appeared on earth so that all who believe that he died for their sins and was raised from the dead can be saved, can be rescued. Well, remember, what you hope for shapes what you live for. If you are a believer, take a moment to think back to when you found your hope in Jesus who loves you and died for you. That happened for me 50 years ago. And I still remember that first Christmas after I trusted Jesus as my Savior. Suddenly Christmas took on a whole new meaning. It went from presents and lights and celebration to a baby born in a manger to grow to die on the cross for my sins. Thank God for saving you for your sin, from your sin by his grace. And because of Jesus, we can live in the sure hope that you have been forgiven, redeemed, and cleansed and granted eternal life. Because Jesus gave himself for us so that we can be a people for his own possession, a people intimately belonging to God and not this world. Meanwhile, if you're an unbeliever, remember that what you hope for shapes what you live for. So what are you hoping for when it comes to dealing with your sin? Maybe you find yourself hoping in something like this. I certainly don't need someone to rescue me. I'm fine. I'm good enough to be in God's favor. I'm not that bad. Certainly not as bad as many people are. If there is a God, he knows that I'm sincerely doing my best and he will lovingly overlook my faults. I may not be perfect, but I'll be okay because I do my best to follow Jesus as my example. If you are hoping in any of these things, or any variation of them, your life will be shaped by your pursuit of them to the detriment of your soul. I ask you to consider that God's message to you as an unbeliever in the Bible, you are hopelessly lost and cannot in any way save yourself by your own efforts. Will you place your hope in Jesus as your savior? Will you trust in the one who loved you, died for you, and rose from the dead to redeem you from sin and purify you from all uncleanness? I urge you, I ask you to consider God's invitation to you now to turn from your sin to be saved. Jesus, your only hope of freedom from guilt, shame, and regret over your past sins, and your only hope for eternal life. As John says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's something that you can put your hope in. Back to verse 11, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, Jesus' advent, his appearing on earth to save us from our sins. That should be the end of the story, right? Merry Christmas, put the angels, wise men, and manger scenes away till next year. No, no. It turns out that Jesus' advent was just the beginning of something very new. Salvation is not a once and done thing at Christmas. Salvation is going somewhere. Let's look at what Paul says next in verse 12. After saying the grace of God has appeared, he says it is training us, training us. You see, when you put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, God saves you from the penalty of your sin because Jesus paid that penalty when he died on the cross for you. But you don't have to live long as a Christian to realize that God didn't remove all of your sinful desires when you trusted Jesus as your Savior. Though the penalty has been removed, sin still has power in our lives to direct our thoughts, words, and actions in the wrong directions. Perhaps you've said the same thing that many others, myself included, have said, why do I still struggle with sin? Particularly the same sin over and over and over again, and how can I stop? Paul says here that the grace of God in Jesus not only forgives us, but it also trains us how to live in this present age. That word training, sometimes translated teaching or instructing, refers to a parent educating a child and how to live. Because how we live now is important to God. Notice the last part of verse 14. It says that Jesus purified us for himself to be a people who are zealous for good works. God's desire for us is that we would be zealous for good works. But it's important to see that God does not command us how to live. He trains us how to live. Our only hope to overcome the power of sin in our lives is found in the grace of God that has appeared to us in Jesus Christ. We cannot change ourselves, but we are changed by God's work in us through the grace found in Jesus. The grace of God has appeared, training us. God himself walks with us and in us to enable us to know him and to walk in his ways. And he has promised to finish what he has begun. As Paul says in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And Paul lays out two aspects of this training that God brings to us. First, he says, the grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. You see that in verse 12 to renounce, to say no to, to refuse to obey any longer, to say no to ungodliness. Ungodliness is a lack of respect towards God, not loving God with our whole heart, serving someone or something other than God, saying something like, no one can tell me what to do, no one can tell me who to be, not even God. It's a lack of respect towards God. It also says we are to say no to worldly passions. 
worldly passions, our strong desires for the sinful ways of this world, sexual immorality, addictions, greed, pride, anger, jealousy, pursuit of pleasure, money, power, status, fame, on and on. Living to satisfy ourselves instead of living for God and others. The grace of God trains us to renounce, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Second, Paul says, the grace of God trains us to live lives in this present time, again if you look there at verse 12, that are self-controlled, that are sensible, that keeps our desires and impulses under control, that are upright, that are being as we ought to be, and are godly. Godliness is a God-centered attitude that does what is pleasing to Him. You see, the Christian life is not one of having your sins forgiven then living how you want to in this present time. Rather, it's a lifelong journey of being in God's school as He trains you to live as one who belongs to Him, one of His own possession, as Paul says in verse 14. This journey is not an easy one, but it is made possible because of God's grace to us in Jesus. Because of Jesus, there is now hope for meaningful change in our lives. It's so easy to give up because the battle is hard. And as Paul Tripp says, we should not call a premature armistice with our sin. We should not call a truce in our battle against sin, but we must continue. What you hope for shapes what you live for. Do you put your hope in your ability to change yourself? Well, then you will live for yourself. Self-help, self-realization, self-fulfillment. You, you may be able to make some outward improvements, but you will never be able to change your heart, which is the source of all that you think, say, and do, the source of your attitudes, your motivations. Or do you put your hope in the grace of God in Jesus Christ that trains you to turn away from sin? Then you will live no longer for yourself, but for Jesus. So, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people so that the penalty of our past sin can be paid for. The grace of God has appeared, training us to renounce sin and to live for God in this present age so that the power of sin can be broken in our lives. But there's a third aspect to the grace of God that gives us hope for the future when the very presence of sin will be gone forever. Let's look at verse 13. Paul says that because the grace of God has appeared, we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Waiting for our blessed hope. Remember, hope's not wishful thinking. It's a joyful confidence that when God says something is going to happen, it's as good as done. When God says something is going to happen, it's as good as done. And Paul calls this a blessed hope, a fortunate, well-off, happy hope that our ultimate hope in this world is that Jesus is coming back for us. We are waiting for our blessed hope with confidence and joy that Jesus is coming back for us. Jesus appeared to us the first time on that first Christmas. He promises that he will appear to us a second time, at which time he will restore and renew all things. 
There is a great future for the people of God. Jesus is coming back for us. He's coming back for you, coming back for me. Again, I hope by now you're catching it. What you hope for shapes what you live for. What you hope for shapes what you live for. If this life is all there is, if your only hope is in the things of this world, then don't bother trying to live in a way pleasing to Jesus. There's no need to renounce ungodliness and worldly desires. There's no need to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Forget about church activities. You heard it here. Serving others, being nice, being kind. Forget about reading the Bible and singing and praying. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, if this life is all there is, then let us eat and drink, because tomorrow we die. But if we know that Jesus is coming back any time for us, that will shape how we live. The sure hope of Jesus' return provides motivation for living godly in our lives. Our Lord and Savior, who loves us deeply, is coming back for us. Let us strive to live in a way that is pleasing to him because we are looking forward to his return and want, to, want him to find us living rightly. And the sure hope of Jesus' return provides perspective for the heartaches and pains of this world, the illnesses and sufferings and injustices that many of us, most of us, suffer in life. Think ahead to that moment when what we have hoped for actually happens. Jesus returns. Can you imagine? No more need to say no to sin. All wrongs will be made right. No more injustice. Jesus will usher in and rule over a new heavens and a new earth in which only what is right exists. Even death itself will be destroyed. That is truly a blessed hope, one worth living for. We are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, training us to renounce ungodliness and to live godly lives as we wait for the appearing of our great God and Savior. Let's close with a few points of broader application. The life of faith, first of all, has always been a life of waiting with hope. From the time of Adam and Eve's sin, God's people were waiting until the Savior came, which finally happened some 2,000 years ago when Jesus arrived. Then, from the time that Jesus went back to heaven until now, we wait again. We wait again, this time for his second coming. Once that second coming occurs, all waiting will be over for all eternity. What a glorious thought. No more waiting, no more need for hope, no more need for faith, no more waiting. In that light, I love how our passage today is bracketed. Please take a look with me. Verse 12 talks about training us to live in this present age, Paul says. How are we to live now? 
But on either side of verse 12 is the key importance of Jesus appearing. Verse 11 says, the grace of God has appeared. Past tense. The grace of God has appeared when Jesus came the first time. But what's verse 13 say? The glory of God will appear when Jesus comes back for us. The grace of God has appeared. The glory of God will appear. It is those two appearings that give us hope and purpose for our lives today. Because he has appeared, I desire to live a life pleasing to him in gratitude for what he has done for me and which he has made possible because of his grace in me. And because he will appear again, I can live with hope while living in this broken, challenging world. I do not have to live in despair. But as I reflected on this, I think it's important to point out that your reaction to Jesus' second appearing will be fully dependent on your response to his first appearing. Your reaction to Jesus' second appearing will be fully dependent on your response to his first appearing. If you believe in his first appearing, trusting in his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins, then his second appearing will be a time of joyful celebration as you enter eternal peace and rest in fellowship with God and one another forever and ever and ever and ever. But if you reject his first appearing, then his second appearing will be a time of fear, pain, judgment, and eternal separation from God and all that is good. What you hope for shapes what you live for. What you hope for shapes what you live for. During this season, we have all around us remind, uh, reminders of Jesus' first coming. I mean, look, just look at these beautiful Christmas decorations. We all would look at that and recognize them as Christmas decorations. It seems like every single recording artist, whether they believe in God or not, sings Christmas carols that we hear all around us. There are Christmas candles, Christmas cookies, Christmas presents. Well, how does all of this make you feel? Does it make you feel festive and joyful? Or anxious, tired, out of money, lonely, sad? Mike's statement is, well, there's only three weeks till Christmas. That's not an encouraging sign for many of us, right? Because there's not enough time to get everything done we want to get done. But instead of anxiety, tiredness, lamenting our lack of finances, or dwelling on the loneliness and sadness, let these cultural reminders of Jesus' first coming fill you with hope for his second coming. Rather than merely reacting to what we can see around us, let our hearts be filled with hope for what has not yet happened, his return for us. These things remind us that Jesus came for us once, May they also be reminders that he's coming back a second time. I was really moved by how one writer says it. Hope is not about thinking something will get better. Hope is about believing someone better is already here. 
Hope is not about thinking something will get better. Hope is about believing someone better is already here. That someone better came for us that first Christmas. That someone better is coming back for us again at any moment. So now perhaps we should change the wording from what you hope for shapes what you live for to who you hope for shapes what you live for. My desire for each one of us this Advent and Christmas season is that our lives would be shaped by hope in the grace of God that has appeared to us and hope in the glory of God that will appear to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Help us by your grace to live as people of your own possession who are zealous for good works. And may we live in these present days with hope-filled waiting for the blessed hope of the glory of God that will appear when Jesus comes back for us. And be with us now as we celebrate these great realities together. In Jesus' name, amen.